everybody. Welcome back to Preps Today with John Millay, a special holiday edition. I'm John Millay. We've given Jim Suhan a little time off here. Uh, I've got a special guest today. We're going to have a, a single topic show, which we don't do often, but this is someone we've had on the guest before, as a guest before. Carl Pearson from w Waconia is a, is a noted author, and uh, he has a new book out. Carl, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks, Carl. I went back through the archives of our podcast. We had you on December 13th, 2018, when you had your first book out, which was the Paul. And uh, you're back now. I really enjoyed the first book, and I really liked the second book. I wrote about it on John's Journal. The new book is called The Other Side of Glory, A Team's Quest for High School Girls Basketball History. Carl, tell us what the book is about. Let's start with that. Well, the, the book chronicles the season uh, for the Waconia Wildcats, but it also gives you uh, some history, uh, some precursors that led up to the season, the 2019-2020 season, because uh, my team, having been in Waconia now for 10 years and the history of the community and the program, uh, taught me that they really had a tortured past. Uh, I, I got to see firsthand some of, some of the, the near misses and close calls of, of just missing out on making the state tournament, but I heard stories from people 25 years ago, 30 years ago, and, and all these heartbreaking losses. So I'd kind of told myself, well, if this team ever makes it to the state tournament, I think it would be a great story to tell, uh, the, 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 them finally getting over the hump. And, and so the 2019-2020 the edition of the Wildcats were the first to do that in the 45-year history of the program. So the, the book gives you just a little history at the beginning, and then it, it follows them through the season through what I'll call highs and lows. And, and it wasn't a, a smooth ride by any stretch. And I, I think that's one of the, the misnomers that a lot of people expect from successful teams is, oh, you know, you, you won 20 games, you had a great season, it must have been super easy and a lot of fun. And that's really not the case for most teams that are successful. Everybody, whether you're six and 20 or 20 and six, you're gonna encounter some adversity. And so I think that's part of, of the story here and in, in, in part of the, the lesson, I guess, for lack of a better term, that hopefully is conveyed upon the readers. Sure. And you have a, a really, really unique perspective here because you were the coach of that team until the previous season. So you knew everybody. You knew how this works. Why don't you talk us through how the previous season ended? Because when you talk about heartbreaks and curse, you experienced that firsthand. Yeah, so we, we played uh, Robbinsdale Cooper, who was the defending 3A champions in the section championship game. And we were ahead nearly the entire game. Uh, from, from start till there was about two minutes left in the game, we had never more than about a six-point lead, but we did maintain a lead throughout. And they finally took the, their first lead with about two minutes to go. They were up by one. And then with a minute left or so, we regained the lead and we were up by one, got a stop on defense, we had the ball. And so we were really in the driver's seat uh, with, with a chance. In, in, in fact, the, the first chapter of the book is called 20 Seconds because uh, the team was 20 seconds away, one defensive stop away from their first ever state tournament appearance. And then another one of those weird situations happened, like, like had struck the, the Wildcats for, for decades previously. Uh, and, and they found themselves on the, on the wrong end by a single point a, a, at the buzzer. 
Yeah, and, and you described that so well. And all of us who are involved in sports, we've all seen those games over and over, you know, and the team that wins is so thrilled and the team that doesn't, especially in a section championship. I've long maintained those are maybe the best atmospheres, you know, in almost any high school sport in Minnesota. Because if you win, you're going to state, and that's a big deal. And if you come that close like that team did, it is it's heartbreaking. And I always go back to my high school football days for my little bitty town in Iowa. We had an undefeated football team. We rolled through everybody. We get to the state championship game and we lose by a touchdown. And that was 45 years ago. And that still hurts. And, and I know just what that is like. So um, yeah, the book is exceptional. Um, as I wrote, I, I wrote a review in John's journal. I picked it up, started reading it and, uh, and didn't put it down till I was done. It's, as I wrote, it's fast-paced, fun, extremely insightful. I appreciate Triumph Books, the publisher, sending me a copy. I certainly would have paid for one because it's worth it. I, I know, Carl, you stepped down from teaching because you've got young kids, and that's really hard on, on everybody. Is there a chance you may return to coaching someday? I think there's always a chance. Um, I, can't say, <laughs> I can't say that it's at the top of my mind at the moment. Um, like you said, my, I've got a 12 year old and a nine year old, and I was getting to the point where I was missing their activities and, and having been a head coach for 17 years, I, I decided, well, I've had my fun. I, I've got to do this. Um, it's, it's time to, to turn my attention to being a better father and husband. And I, I, I sure feel like I've, I've been that you'd have to ask my wife to know for sure. But, um, I, in my opinion, I, I think I've been better at that. And, and then, you know, stepping away from coaching has allowed me to do some other things. I'm, I'm on the city council now and, and, you know, I got to write this book and, and I'm enjoying serving in those other roles as well. Sure. Uh, this is uh, Preps Today with John Millay on the Talk North Network. Uh, I'm going to thank our sponsor real quickly, uh, Pizza Barn in Princeton, Minnesota. If you haven't been up there, right in downtown Princeton off of 169, it's a tremendous place, a great menu that goes well beyond pizza, a family-owned business for 38 years. Uh, still time for some holiday gifts if you stop in at the Pizza Barn. Uh, a lot of they have a lot of apparel, uh, decorations for the tree. They've even got a pizza cutter that also doubles as a bottle opener. That'll serve you well over the holidays here. So feel free to stop in at the Pizza Barn in Princeton, Minnesota. Tell them uh, John and Jim sent you. Carl, let's go back to um, to your your teaching career. You're not a Minnesotan. I'm not a Minnesotan by birth. Tell us about your background. I grew up in Mitchell, South Dakota, home of the world's only corn palace. And yeah, yeah, so yeah I it. it's, I, I always say it's <laughs> one of the top five high school basketball venues in America. I, I, it, it holds about 4,000 people. Um, when I was growing up, it was packed and in fact, usually overflowing for every game. Um, but that's, you know, at least in part, cause there's nothing else to do in South Dakota. I, I mean, I'll, I'll admit that up front. We don't have the pro sports teams that, that draw people like Minnesota does. I'm from Iowa. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. no. Kidding. But it also was a special atmosphere to grow up in. And, and that's really one of the things things that I, I kind of feel bad about for kids that live in the metro area is they don't often get the packed gym and, you know, feel that temperature rise in the gym because there's so many bodies in there <laughs> elevating the temperature. And um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a neat atmosphere. But uh, growing up there was terrific. But I, I love teaching in Minnesota. I, I, I love raising my family here. Um, I've, I feel very blessed that I ended up coming here for my teaching and coaching career. 
Sure. And how long have you been a Minnesotan now? Well, my, my first year teaching was in Red Wing in 1999-2000. So uh, it's a little over 20 years. Uh, I believe that might make me one of us now. I, I, I don't know exactly where the cutoff is, but it feels like 20 <laughs> years is, is right around that, that range. I've been here for 30, and I don't think I'm one of us yet, so we'll see how that how that works out. Um, I did want to say, too, in your in your uh, acknowledgments at the end of the book, you thank your high school basketball coach, Gary Munson. Tell us about him. Oh, he's a legend, uh, and not just in my hometown, but throughout South Dakota, and not just because of his success as a coach. I think between coaching girls and boys basketball, he has something like 16 or 18 combined state championships. I mean, if, if you walk into the Corn Palace, there's a bevy of banners hanging on either side of the floor, and most of them have Gary Munson's name on them. Um, but he was also just a, a heck of a personality and a character, and he's, he is the, the reason that I became a coach. Um, he inspired me to be a coach, and I, I was not even close to a, a, a very good basketball player. I was marginal at best, but the, the level of care and compassion he demonstrated towards me was exactly the same as he did towards the star player on our team. And, and he treated everybody as though they were valued and important. And, and that's something that I tried to carry with me through my coaching career as well. Sure. Thanks. Um, let's talk about the process of writing this book. It sounds like you didn't decide to do this until the team accomplished that goal that so many had set. Was that the case? Well, yeah, I, I they, I, was, I was at Disneyland or Disney World in Florida with my family uh, the night that, the, that Waconia played Marshall in the section championship game. Um, and so we, we, we watched the fireworks and then I threw in my headset. I missed like the first six minutes of the game as we're riding the bus back to the resort. But I listened to the game and uh, when, when they made it, I, I got a little emotional because I'd been through some of the difficulties too and I was, I was really excited for them. But then we, we flew back the next day, and on the plane, I started to sketch out the outline of the book. Um, and I hadn't followed the team super closely during the season. I think I'd only attended three games in person. But um, I, I kind of I knew exactly how I, I wanted to approach it. And then it was a matter of interviewing the coaches and interviewing the players and going back and re-watching a lot of the games on, on video uh, to, to chronicle everything. But um, everything after – well, and then – as, as is referenced in the book. I mean, the world shut down uh, right before the state championship games for the girls tournament. There was no boys tournament that year. And, and that made it pretty easy to write a book because we weren't going anywhere or doing anything. You know, I, I had nothing but time to sit in front of a, a computer and type away. Well, and it's amazing. If people don't know that, that the way you wrote this, it looks like you were at every practice and every game and on every bus ride. That's, that's the depth that you put into this thing. And that's, that's phenomenal. Congratulations on that alone. I mean, cause it's uh, it looks like you set out to write this before the season started and you were taking notes every step of the way and you clearly weren't, but that that's really a great accomplishment. I think to be able to do that and, and uh, whether you want to thank COVID or not, you did some great work here. Well, I think <laughs> I, that's a tribute to the players and coaches though, because I, I can only write what they convey to me and, and the fact that they were willing to share all those moments in the locker room and what was said and, and the team meeting when there's drama and controversy and, and, you know, the, and, and that why, that was why I thought it was really important to interview them immediately when the season was over. So all that stuff was still fresh in their mind and, and they could kind of repeat verbatim some of the exchanges, but yeah, those direct quotes, I think add a, a, an element to the story that, that helps a lot. 
And let's talk about the players. I wrote this in my, in my review that, that you don't identify the players by name. They're all, they all have nicknames. That's a tradition with this basketball team. Everybody gets a nickname. Talk about that, that why that's the case, why, why they're all just using nicknames here and not, not their actual names. Well, I mean, there, there were some legal reasons for that because you're talking about some minors um, in, in, a, in a book that's going to be published nationally. And, and so you want to protect their anonymity to some degree. But it really wasn't a difficult thing to do because in reality, I mean, I, I have a couple of these players in my class right now and I call them slick and I call them Poe. I don't call them by their actual legal given name because I, <laughs> sure. in fact, when somebody says their name, I'm like, well, wait a minute, who's that? It takes me a second to register because these kids are truly referred to by their nicknames almost without exception amongst members of the coaching staff and people that follow the team. So, you know, when, when you hear about salsa or rookie or sauce or, or snake, I mean, that's, that's what they were called. And, and that's what they're called throughout the story as well. Sure. It's kind of cool. And, and you know, it, it's kind of jarring, at least for me, it was kind of jarring to get into the book and hey, wait a minute, what's that kid's real name? But then, then it, then it flows like anything else, you know, you get used to who these kids are and there's great photos in the book, great color photos of everybody identified by their nicknames. And that adds a lot to it. I think um, um, when you, when you stepped away, Dusty Nybauer, I'm that, that's how it pronounced correctly. Yeah, he'd been your assistant for a long time, and he took over. Were you, were you? I mean, you you were stepping back, regardless. I assume, but it sounds like he was the perfect person to to step up into that head coaching role. Yeah, that that made it a lot easier for for me to handle on an emotional level, knowing that somebody was going to take over the program that was competent and knew the kids and and would do things the right way. Um, and, and yeah, I, I, it was, it was very easy to step back knowing that he would be the person that would be taken over. Let's go back to, I know I came out to see your team when back in the, I think you call it the run and fun days or the fun and gun days when you had teams that were really well equipped, they weren't the biggest teams, but really well equipped to play at a high rate of speed and shoot threes and run up and down the court. Talk about, talk about that era of uh, Waconia basketball. Cause it was really fun to watch. It was. And, and the thing is we we've had a lot more success in terms of wins and losses than we did in that singular year. And, and then the, the year following, we kind of did a modified version of the fun and gun uh, where we, I think we scored about, I don't know, 83 points a game instead of 94. Um, but Anyway, the, the point is, it was a ton of fun, and we, we weren't overly talented, uh, but we got a lot of kids playing, we set a lot of records, so the kids, even though they didn't have a, a great win and loss record to hang their hats on, all of them can walk around right now and say, we have the state record for most threes made in a season, most threes made in a game, you know, uh, highest scoring game in state history, all those kinds of things. And, and so it still gave them something to, to kind of puff their chest out about and feel proud of. And, and that was kind of one of the neat things about it. Yeah, I, I remember coming out for games. And that, that was really fun basketball. I wish I wish we'd see that more. And maybe now with the shot clock coming in, that that'll, we'll see more of that. What are your thoughts on that? I, I know you're the executive director of the Girls Basketball Coaches Association. What uh, you, I'm sure you were pushing for a shot clock, and, and how do you feel about the decision that's been made? Well, I'll tell you what, I, I had to do it advocating for our coaches as part of our association because something like 82% of girls basketball coaches across the state wanted to see the implementation of the shot clock. On a personal level, 
I know I, I heard your position on this in a recent podcast. I can kind of take it or leave it. Um, I don't have strong feelings one way or the other. I, I, I think, and you know, the way my teams have played, we, we never needed a shot clock. Um, that being said, though, I, I think we're all aware of how it has come into play in some playoff games in the last few years. And, and so that's why I don't object to it. But uh, I, don't, I didn't think that it was something we had to have immediately either. I'm glad we have it because it wasn't an issue that was going to go away. Um, and I know it's, it's, it's made 82% of the coaches in our state pretty happy. Yeah, and I think according to a survey we did at the high school league, 75% of schools. We basically did a survey with lots of questions. Each school could answer each question, you know, once in one way. It wasn't like, what is your AD and your coach and your school board think? It was your school, your school. And I think it was uh, 75% were in favor, you know, not not all of them immediately. And that's why it's pushed back a couple of years. But yeah, I'm excited about it. And I was I was watching uh, the breakdown boys games at Hopkins on a, on a, you know, I was there for eight hours on a Saturday and and the Hopkins main court has shot clocks. And I, I, I kind of tweeted something about, I'm wondering before they're mandated in the 2023-24 season, if we'll see opportunities like the breakdown or holiday tournaments to use a shot clock. Because I don't know, for maybe 10 years now, that's been allowed in, in non-conference regular season play. If both coaches agree, we can have shot clocks. So maybe we'll see more of that just to kind of, get everybody used to it. I don't know. It'll be individual decisions, but uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. And, and I talk to people all over the state, administrators who they're not that concerned about the cost of shot clocks. And we've covered this ground in, in previous podcasts, but their biggest concern is finding people who can be properly trained and, and, you know, dependable to come to the game. So, you know, we'll get there when we get there. But uh, I'm, like I said, I'm, like you said, I'm glad that decision was made. It's off the table now. And, and it'll be it'll be fine once we once we get there. Um, you had a pretty notable person write the foreword for your book, Lindsay Whalen, who's from who's not, you know not far from uh, Waconia, growing up in Hutchinson. How did that process work to to have uh, Lindsay write that for you? Well, it was really as simple as asking her. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which she's she's great. Yeah. I'm not surprised yeah. at all. Um, yeah. I, obviously, in my role as the director of the Girls Basketball Coaches Association, it was a little easier to to reach out to her and, and connect with her. Um, but yeah, she was very gracious in doing that. And and I, I knew that having her name on the cover lends a lot of credibility to the book, uh, not just in Minnesota, but beyond. I mean, when, when you've won multiple gold medals and, and four WNBA championships and, and you're a Big Ten head coach, um, you know, people know who you are. And so it was it was really wonderful to have her contribute to the project as well. Yeah, and as even with all those accolades, maybe I don't know if I'd say despite all those accolades, she remains the most down to earth person you'll ever know. I've spent time with Lindsay over the years, and it's funny people ask me now. She must have been great in high school, and you know what? Nobody saw her in high school outside of Hutchinson because the teams didn't get to state. She had an injury, I think an ankle, most of her senior year that slowed her down, but she got the offer to play at the U, and the rest is history. Well, She's gone on to do great I'm things. I'm going to correct you. She's a great advocate for basketball, as, as are you. And let's let's talk about, you know, you're a teacher. You're a classroom teacher. You uh, you teach social studies, I think, and you're great on Twitter because you, you will tweet about things happening in school and what the kids are saying and doing and and what, what's it been like just from an educational standpoint with COVID? We talked about how that shut down that state tournament and, 
And I think, you know, clearly we're in a better place now, but this, this could be a whole nother podcast, <laughs> but just give us the summary of Carl, of what this has been like from, from your standpoint. Well, when we, when everything first shut down and we went to full-time distance learning in uh, April, May of 2020, I, I remember telling my wife, if this is what education becomes, I'm going to have to switch careers because not being in front of the kids and not having that face-to-face connection, um, it was it was awful. Everything about it was awful. Then last year, last school year, when we kind of did the hybrid model and then we were back to distance learning again for a couple months, um, that was challenging, but we were all more prepared for it. Uh, this year, at least in Waconia, I, I, I can say that we feel blessed that we've had largely a normal school year. Everything about this school year has felt normal to this point. Um, and, and I hope that continues because this is why I got into teaching. I, I really enjoy being around the kids and the interaction. And, and we've got that back now. And, and I, I don't see that changing. I think we're, we're on the backside of this, at least. Uh, I'm not an infectious disease expert, but um, I do follow the news enough to know that I think that we're probably on the backside of it. Yeah, I sure hope so. And I, I was, I just did a radio interview with somebody up in Northern Minnesota earlier today. And, and we talked about that, just how great it was, especially this fall, at least for me, traveling to games around the state in different sports, everybody was just so filled with joy. And I think gratitude that we were back to normal. We didn't have spectator limits. You know, the pep band was there, the cheerleaders were there. And I, I went to enough games uh, a year ago with, uh, you know, in basketball, wrestling, whatever it was, uh, with very small crowds. Uh, it just, it was just so strange. I'm really grateful the kids got to compete, but it was, it was very strange. Yeah. Maybe coaches who stepped away with the kind of timing you had, maybe that was, maybe that was a smart decision. I don't know. Cause I know I've, I've, I've got a daughter who's a high school English teacher, and she said the same things you said. This is not what anybody signed up for. But like I say every day of my life, teachers and coaches are heroes, and, and, and thank you for everything you've done in the classroom and the basketball court and everything you do. Um, yeah, this book is, is, is really great. I encourage everybody to find it, The Other Side of Glory by Carl Pearson. What kind of reaction have you had, Carl? I know this book is, it's a nationally, it's a national book and, and you've got some great people uh, who've written blurbs for the book and what kind of a reaction are you hearing? I know it just came out, but I bet it's pretty good. Yeah. It's, it's been about a month since the book has come out and uh, all the feedback has been very positive to this point. And uh, I, I do want to share this. I, I thought this was really interesting. So one of the, the players that becomes a kind of a key character in the story. Uh, her name is Sauce. She's a senior that was a, a starter and kind of a star player as a junior. And then as a senior, she gets asked to, to play kind of a reduced role. And so part of the story is her wrestling with that. Uh, she's a captain too. And, and how does she juggle that position of being a captain with now, you know, kind of her own desires to, to play more of a, a role and have more of an impact. But uh, after the book came out, her dad, who is also featured at least a little bit kind of in an ancillary way in the story, um, he said that he asked her about the book and reflecting on the season. And, and she said something that I thought was really poignant. She said, something doesn't have to be perfect to be worthwhile. And, and I thought, you know, what a, what a great statement for a kid that, you know, maybe didn't have the experience that she wanted on a personal level her senior year, but eventually sacrificed and, and gave herself to the team. And she recognizes, hey, 
everything about that was still worthwhile because we accomplished something that no other team had in 45 years previous. And, and she's, instead of dwelling on the negative, she's realized that it was a worthwhile endeavor. Oh, that's phenomenal. I'm not surprised at all. I, whenever I hear people complaining about kids today, I say, hey, come follow me along for a couple of days. Talk to the kids I talk to and, and you'll have a different you'll have a different opinion because that's uh, the future's in good hands with these kids, especially the ones that coached by people like you and and uh, taught by people like you. So appreciate you being on with us, Carl. Uh, again, the other side of glory by Carl Pearson. It's a great read. Thanks for listening, everybody. Happy holidays. Um, and we will talk to you soon.